Week two, redeemed identity. Well, last week again, we talked about the eight verses of the first eight verses of Ephesians chapter one in a message called The Plan for Belonging. And just to give you a recap, Paul wrote this letter not just to the Ephesians, but to the church at large. Uh, matter of fact, in the original manuscripts, Ephesians chapter 1 starts off by saying uh, that this is a letter to uh, the church at Ephesus, but actually in the original manuscripts, that was left blank because this wasn't a letter directed to just one people. This was a letter directed to the church at large. So essentially, when we're reading this, uh, you could even read it as Paul writing this letter to Kyle Garrison, Paul writing this letter to the people at Savannah. This is a letter not necessarily correcting issues in the church, but talking about foundational things that we need to understand as the body of Christ. He wrote this letter and to help us to understand who we are and who we belong to, and that's going to change everything. One of the things I wanted to bring out again tonight that we talked about last week was that maturity in Christ is no longer based off of a merit system. You don't get maturity in Christ because you pray more than your neighbor. If you're basing your maturity off of how much you pray, that's a very immature form of merit system maturity. You think that because you spend more time with God, then that must mean then that you are more mature in your walk. I, I could make the argument that someone taking 10 minutes aside their time could pray just as much as someone taking four hours because the Bible doesn't say pray for four hours. The Bible says pray without ceasing. So really, we should be walking in a posture of a talk with God throughout our day, not just in one little segment. We've got to get out of this merit system of earning. We've got to get out of this idea that, well, I'm a mature Christian because I go to church every single Saturday or some other people, weird people on Sundays. Because we're the normal ones, right? I, I, someone told me this this week. I, I got two, I, I considered it great compliments for this church over the past six months. I heard someone say one time that relentless is too radical. And I, and I was like, all right. And I heard someone say this week that um, it's a big pill to swallow when you first walk in. And I was like, heck yeah. Like, I, I don't want to look like any other church. I want us to look like what God wants us to look like. And we should celebrate other houses that they look like what God wants them to look like. We got to get out of this comparison game. And we got the thing that we need to be concerned with is who are we in Christ? Amen. Who you are, you are righteous. Remember, righteousness does not necessarily mean right standing as we've been taught. The word righteous is actually simply meaning this, you are in the full portion of what you were created to be. The reason righteousness doesn't mean right standing is because we, are, we call God righteous. So who can God be in right standing with? We are righteous. Righteousness is you are in the full portion of what you created to be. And what happens in life is we settle for a less than portion of our identity and we embrace that as part of who we are. Instead of understanding that we are holy and blameless and perfect, we tell God where he's wrong and we talk about how we're horrible, we're addicts, we are depressed, I am full of anxiety, I am not good enough. 
And every time we say that type of stuff, we're in direct disagreement with how the Father actually views you. And because you are not walking in agreement with how the Father views you, you settle for less than portion, which actually causes you to still have desires of sin when you should have never had those desires. And what happens in the church, is this all right? And what happens in the church is that we try to modify all of our behavior. And we fail at it. Can we get real? This is why we fail at modifying behavior. Because you still desire it. If you will focus on who you are in Christ, you will find that your desires will change. And therefore, you don't stop sinning in an area because you're trying to stop it. You stop sinning because you no longer desire the thing. And far too long, the church has tried to say, stop doing this, stop doing that. You know, don't cut your hair, don't get tattoos, women wear dresses. All those things because we're trying to get it right. And God says the way you get it right is understand who you are and let your identity flow to everything else in your life. This is making sense. When we say that we are a new, can someone just say, I am a new creation? When we say that we are a new creation, there is more to that statement than meets the eye. I want to read 2 Corinthians 5.17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a what? A new person. The old life is gone. Let me say that again. The old life is gone. And the new life has begun. That word new does not mean an updated model of yourself. Let me say that again. You are a new creation doesn't mean that you just got to update. When you were reborn unto Christ Jesus, it means that you are totally new and it's something that this world has not seen. And the reason we struggle with it is because who you know is the dead man. Yeah. And you think, I've got to get the dead man to agree with the new man, when really and truthfully, you need to simply stop having conversations with the dead man. And understand that if you are new then that means you've got to start viewing yourself in a new way, not an update to an old model. Paul, the writer of of Ephesians, he said this in his letter to the Corinthians. Look at uh, chapter 7, 2. Please open your hearts to us. Now listen to this. We have not done wrong to anyone, nor led anyone astray. Leave that up there nor taken advantage of anyone. I want to point out to the first phrase. Paul is talking. He said, we ain't done nothing to anyone. He's talking to church people whose family that he probably murdered. Who was Paul? He was a man named who? Saul. What did he do? He killed believers. 
he killed those who were living their life for Christ, thinking he was doing the right thing. And this guy who killed Christians is now talking to his family saying, I ain't done nothing wrong. He was actually telling the truth. Because Paul hasn't done anything. Saul did. Paul hasn't done anything wrong to these people. Saul did. And Paul is writing, and there's a great mystery, if you will, in the scripture that you need to realize. Paul understands what new means. It's not that Paul got better from what he did years ago as a man named Saul. It's that who he is walking in, the world has never met. And we as believers need to understand that when we are new creations, God didn't just cover your sins with his blood. What he covered was those under old covenant. You know what he does for you? He writes it out. It's no more. They're thrown away. You are righteous because of what he bought for you. And when you are new, you keep holding yourself back with stuff that God don't even remember. I can't move forward, Kyle, because I've got to deal with this thing that I did in my past and I haven't asked him forgiveness for it. Can I open your eyes to something? God don't know who the heck you're talking about. Because that old man who messed up that old thing is dead. And we get so obsessed with trying to fix dead man that we never start to meet new man. Is this okay? If we will start to understand who we are in Jesus, we will stop playing this game of let me fix what I did and let me start living as how I'm supposed to live. And the only way to meet the new man is to have a relationship with the ever-present God. Paul was not a new model of Saul. He was a version that the world had not seen. And the version that the world had not seen is actually the original version before we were born into the world and got corrupted. The new verse, the new you, is actually the original intent of God. Do you remember a story when Mary was pregnant with Jesus and she went, went and walked up to her cousin Elizabeth? At the sound of Mary's voice, what happened in Elizabeth? The baby leaped. The baby in Elizabeth was John the Baptist. The baby in Mary was Jesus. Let me throw something out to you. The reason the baby leaped was not just because it heard a voice. It was because John and Jesus knew each other before they got in the womb. Why? We had communion with the Father before we were in our mother's womb. I knew you before. So there was actually unity going on before we ever got into the world, which is why we're called to unity, because it was original identity. 
And what happens is, instead of trying to figure out how can we unify because we used to know each other, we find every reason to divide because you're looking at dead people instead of viewing them as new. Is this... How is it that you can choose not to be offended by people? Because you don't view them for what they're doing in old nature. You view them as they really are, even though they don't know who they are. So you choose not to be offended because you know they're operating at a false identity. How does honor work? I honor you not because you deserve it. I honor you because of who you are. How do I bless enemies? Because I'm looking at them as who they are, not what they're walking in. How do I honor mother and father even when mother and father don't deserve it? Because if they were who they truly were, they would be in deserving. Let me, let, me, let me meddle a little bit. What the modern church says is honor your mother and father when they've done right, but if they've done wrong, they don't deserve honor. That's not what the Bible says. Honor them. That doesn't mean you... Uh, honor and agreement are two different things. You don't have to agree with things mommy and daddy said, but you don't dishonor them by labeling them as what they're walking in because you know what their true identity should be. This is the issue with the church. We compare each other. We talk about who's mature, who's immature, who knows scripture, who don't know scripture, what's right, what's wrong. If we would just get lost in who we are under him, we wouldn't have to worry about all this merit system that the church has built. We wouldn't have to worry about how do we know who is right with God and not. We would start to walk in who we are and honor each other for who we are and we'll forget who we used to be. We understand that we belong to him. We don't belong to the transgressions we're in. We don't belong to the iniquities we're wrapped up in. We belong to him and nothing else. We see that we are now the full portion of the identity because Jesus bought it for us. Not because we earned it. And because we're in a new identity, which is a... It's actually a restored heavenly identity. Is this making sense? Then we have benefits, we read last week. Because you are new in Christ, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. We read a lot of them. Because you are in Christ, you are now chosen, you are holy, you are blameless, you're a, you are, you are do- adopted, you're accepted, you're redeemed, you're forgiven, you're covered in grace, wisdom, and understanding. Not you're getting to that point, you are. Why has the church not walked in any power of God? 
because we're still begging him instead of understanding who we are. God, would you please? He said, I've already done that. It's finished. Every blessing's in spiritual places. But we have been taught, ask and ask and ask and ask. I say we start thinking. God, thank you for the job. Thank you for the breakthrough. Thank you for the healing. And then people are going to look at you like you're crazy. Why are you thanking him for healing when you still got cancer? Because I don't thank him based off of old self. You will be surprised how your state of mind will change how you live when the medical doctors say you shouldn't be walking. I don't even know where I'm going with this. Let me, let me get my, my scripture. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's, go, let's, let's read verse 9 and 10. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. This is the plan. We still looking for the plan. He said, well, here it is right here. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on the earth. The mysterious will regarding Christ. In other words, God has revealed the why behind sending his word that became flesh. Who is the word that became flesh? Jesus. God said, I have revealed the mystery of why I sent this. I sent my son, the word, to fulfill my plan. And the way to it is salvation because of a perfect man, which was the only way to adequately redeem your identity. Let me talk for a second. I had some conversations on Facebook this week. <laughs> I need to stop doing that. And I, I will hold me to it, most likely. Everyone is so obsessed with this idea that God has planned everything out and everything we walk in is because he wanted it. There's truth and error in it. God has planned everything, but that doesn't mean everything is going according to his plan. Now, here's the part that if I put it on Facebook, it will cause more issues in my life. But I know I can talk to you. Jesus has always been the redemptive plan. That doesn't mean God always wanted to use the redemption plan. Let me. <laughs> God ain't dumb. He always had a redemption plan. He knew when he created man, there was a chance at some point that man would fall. 
So before he created man, I do believe that he had a redeeming plan for what he created. But that doesn't mean it was always the plan to to engage redemption. The plan was that God created Adam and Eve and they ruled Bible over. That was the plan. God made man, man ruled, and it praised God. But then there was the fall. The moment the fall happened, I've got to engage the redemption plan. I'm going to take my word that came out of my mouth and I'm going to let it become a perfect flesh to redeem what man lost. Okay? But the original plan was that we simply existed in the word. So when he sacrificed his son on the cross, it wasn't... I wanted these people to be miserable for a few thousand years just so I could show them how great my son is. No, no, no. He said, I'm going to give up my word in flesh, my son, so I can get them back to what I originally saw them as. And then the rest of the ministry of Jesus is simply this. Believe what you are because I bought it for you. Isn't it sad that most people will call that false doctrine? The original plan, walk in the identity I gave you. What is the why? At the right time, I want to bring everything in heaven and everything on earth together under the authority of Christ. Are y'all following me? Is this boring? Good, Good, thank you for lying. He says, I will unite all things in earth and heaven under the authority of what? Christ. What is Christ? It means anointed. I I did this. He said, let me reveal the plan. I gave up my son so that at the right time, Everything will be put under authority when you start walking in what you're anointed to do. Because that's actually the original plan. What was the original plan? Adam, Eve, rule. You name the animals. You control the climate. You rule everything, and the earth will submit to you. So here's my mysterious plan. I gave my son so that you can see who you truly are meant to be and what to walk in. He says, do you see how my son walks? Did you see how the waves obeyed him? I want you to walk in that identity. Do you see how the demons ran at a word and not 14 hours of deliverance prayer? I want you to walk in that. 
do you see how Jesus stood at, at the, the cave that they called the, the gates of hell and said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to build my church on this rock right here. And the gates of hell ain't going to prevail. Do, do you see how my son healed people that didn't believe in him? Did y'all catch that? Y'all remember when Peter cut the dude's ear off that was arresting Jesus for being a false prophet? What did Jesus do? He put the ear back. Stop believing in this crap theology that says people don't get healed because of lack of faith. I've heard that in the charismatic church so much. Well, they're just not getting healed because they don't have the faith. You don't even have to believe to receive healing. The gift is for those who believe to give to anyone that needs healing. Why? Because we understand we've got to restore them to identity. Is this too? Okay. He said, I want to unite everything in Christ. Jesus, the anointed, paid a price so that you can walk in what you're anointed for. And in that anointing, I'm going to view you as without blemish and without imperfection so that everything is brought together under anointing. How is everything brought together under anointing? You start walking in authority so that things under you have to submit. That's why in Titus and Timothy it says, pastors and elders, make sure you can manage your home before you become a pastor and elder. Why? Because your family has to be together under Christ. It's not... Qualify. It's you are qualified, and here are the reasons. All things are brought together under the authority of your anointing. If, if you're anointed with a healing gift, all things diseased are brought together under the headship of Jesus, not because of necessarily... 20 hours of revival prayer, but because people with healing gifts are walking in what they're anointed to do. I'll go a step further to say everyone has access to healing gift. Why don't we walk in it? We don't believe it. Because we say, but God, I can't because you still identify with old man. Why would God allow me to teach a Bible study? You don't know my life. Neither actually does God, if you claim to be his. I don't know if you're quiet because you think I'm crazy or because you're chewing. <laughs> little, someone said a little bit of both. The way all things happen is when we start to walk in true authority that Jesus purchased your right to walk in even though you're not perfect. But the reason you don't become new is because you don't have a relationship with the one who made you new. You just believe in him. So what? You know who's the biggest believer in God? Satan. Belief don't mean nothing. Walking does. Relationship does. 
I, 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 someone said it this week, even though I was going to say it. Can I prove to you that, that God didn't plan everything to happen? Do you really think that God said, let me make a beautiful angel and plan for him to rebel in heaven so that I have to put him into a lake of fire one day? You really think God is that inadequate? You really think that God planned for one of his angels to become evil? He didn't plan that, but he loves so well that he allows anything to have free will to choose. And if he didn't give us free will, that means he don't really love us. He said, I'm going to love you and I'm going to let you choose me. And I'll let you choose to walk without me. But like last week, why don't, why don't we like that idea? Because religion means what? Return to bondage. Religio in Latin. Re-return. Ligio, to bind. We like to return to bondage and say, God can't love me that much. So let me just make up my own belief system that my mind can wrap around. Even though Paul says, let me reveal to you a mysterious plan that your mind could not get until you understand who you are. Why did Jesus only give kingdom to 12 and not the crowds? The crowds didn't want to know who they were. They wanted to get what he had. Hashtag church. People come to church for social stimulation. People come to church because they feel like, well, this is what I'm supposed to do, so let me find one that I can stand for an hour, but don't let it go more than an hour. <laughs> People come to church and they, they pick it based off of, I want to go to a church where I can get fed. You know one thing I'm loving seeing a shift in this house? I'm finding out that you guys are cooking up your own steak at home. You should not come here to get fed. You, you are fully equipped and identified to feed yourself. My job is provide the menu for you to figure out what you're going to cook this week. And kingdom is the restaurant. And gospel of Jesus is the foyer. Why? Jesus says, I am the door. And when you walk through this door, there's a whole new culture. And there are many keys in the kingdom because there's all kind of different rooms in the culture. There's all kind of different stuff to chew on. And, and there's more of you to meet. And the more you walk in me, you'll forget about dead you. You notice how deep this is, but it's not deep. It's simply this. You're not you. We could literally preach that for the next 10 years and people still won't get it. You're not you. There's a different you. And God says, I have bought the right for you to walk in it. Hmm. 
Why does creation wait for the children of God to be revealed? So it knows what to submit to. Why is creation quaking? Earthquakes and hurricanes and volcanic eruptions and, you know, Savannah at, at 6 a.m. it's winter and by 4 o'clock it's summer. Why, why, why is creation out of order? It don't know what to submit to, so it's in chaos. So what is it waiting for? People who actually believe in who they are to put it into order. True children look perfect, holy, blameless, fully portioned for anointing because Jesus purchased it for you. And that scripture just said, all things will be brought under the authority of that people who walk in that identity. You know, the word right there in some passages, it says, when it says at the right time, it says the, dispensa the dispensation of time. That word actually means plan or strategy. So I wrote this down. When will all that happen? When the bride walks out the strategy, who is the bride? We are. When the bride walks out the strategy instead of settling for a posture of I am not enough, so I'll wait on heaven. And we say amen, but we say it all the time. I can't wait to get to heaven. Well, I'm, I'm in heaven. Little spoiler alert, a spoiler alert. This year's resurrection gathering is called Heaven Is Here. Amen. I'm not waiting to get to heavenly places. I walk in them everywhere I go. Because a heavenly place is defined by I walk with my Father, and according to Scripture, my Jesus has purchased my right to be the Holy of Holies. Because the Holy Spirit ain't in no ark anymore. It's in me. His strategy actually does depend on those in Christ. That's why it says I'm coming back for a spotless bride. You know, I realize what that means. It don't mean church get perfect. It means church realize that you already are spotless. That's the weight. Because when you realize you're spotless, you'll walk as spotless, and all things are going to be start to brought under spotless authority instead of trying to merit spotless. Y'all, <laughs> look at verse 11. Furthermore, because we're united with Christ, we have received, have received, past tense, an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Everything will work according to this plan. What plan? All things to be united in Christ. All things to be united under anointed function. And he says, I will make it work. Meaning he's going to form and fashion your imperfect walking with the reality of your holy and perfect identity. Not, I plan for your bad stuff to work for your good. Stop telling people it all happens for a reason. No, it happened because you did it. <laughs> but he says, I will form that and fashion that according to your identity as perfect. 
Because I will not let your fall hinder what your perfect identity will bring you into. So if you ever hear people say, so-and-so can never get there because of what he did, you just put God in a box of what he can and cannot form or fashion. The only issue with form and fashioning is, is you have to give yourself unto the forming and fashioning. And it feels like fire. You won't like having to be formed and fashioned. Because you are going to have to reap what you sow and then walk out the forming of what just happened in your life. It's not I am new in Christ, so Christ is just going to get me a, a, a pass on having to deal with the stuff that I'm doing. No, no, no. He says, you're going to deal with the stuff that you did, but I'm going to make it work according to your perfect identity. Because nothing is more powerful than what I have planned for you. Let me say that again. Nothing is more powerful than what he had planned for you. The power of Christ bought you and redeemed you so you could walk in that purpose. How do we rule in such a way? How do we rule like this? It says, we have received an inheritance from God. As sons and daughters, he chose in advance, you got an inheritance. But what the church has turned that into is earn the inheritance. You don't earn inheritance. You've already got it. The reason you don't walk in it is not because God hasn't poured it out. It's because you don't know who you are. Therefore, you can't walk out your heritage. What's your heritage? Sons and daughters who have an inheritance. It's not... I hope one day God's going to give me favor. No, you have all the favor you need, but you don't understand that, so you never walk in it. So you walk in fear of the job interview. Is this make the the, the Fitz talked about last week how their sixteen year old son had a legitimate healing in their knee to the point where he didn't have to go to the doctor, and he's running cross cross country or track. Track. He's running track. You know how he got healed? He didn't go to a healing ministry. He listened to the message two weeks ago and said, Mama, I accept my full portion. What just happened? The healing came when he understood who he was. <laughs> I've just got had such a horrible life. You don't believe who you are. You believe the crap that you lived in is you. You believe that your mistakes define you. No, they do not. Well, how do I walk it out? Just start. Uh, I, I am not an addict. I am not depressed. Even if you still are. Just stop identifying yourself with the thing you're trying to walk out of. When, I don't know what the right term is, but foreigners come into the nation. They don't say, I'm becoming American. I am. Why is it so difficult for us to understand? I am. I'm not becoming, I am. I am. Remember, the word adoption means you are placed into function at the point of your maturity. 
All sons and daughters are adopted. That doesn't mean you weren't part of the family and then he brought you in. It means you were always part of the family, but maturity is when you understand who you are. And at that point of maturity and understanding who, who you are, you can be placed into your function. That's adoption. Do I need to say that again? It's not that you were not part of the family of God and he adopted you in. Why? Let me go back to John and Jesus. They knew each other before what? They were in the womb. You existed before the womb. You existed in heavenly places, right? So he says, you were always part of the family of God. But when you realize that truth is when I can place you into what you're functioning to place into. That's adoption. Okay? So he says, the point of maturity is understanding who you are. And what is the inheritance in, who, in, all, in all that you are? All that God has promised us for your new identity. You don't have to wait for promises when you realize they simply are. The promise of your destiny, the promise of your purpose, the promise of freedom. He says when you realize who you are, you realize that you have inherited everything you need to walk into your new identity. Not by earning, but by blood. Think about it. Why is this nation so confused on identity? Because it's the biggest key to walking in freedom. And what has the enemy done? Let them define freedom by choice. It's no different than what he did with Adam and Eve. Just eat a little bit. You won't die. Well, he told the truth in a physical way, but he knew he deceived them into dying spiritually. Why is this world so confused? They think that they'll be released from bondage by choosing whatever gender they want or they or them or whatever it is. And God says, you are so locked up that you can't focus on anything else and you're miserable trying to earn affections from walking in false identity. Why should we surprise, be surprised by that? Is this, is this enlightening? Is this helping? Okay. The word inheritance literally means portion or heritage. Not your view of portion, but the portion allotted by God. It's only 7.30, y'all. I'm going slow. So, In other words, as a son or daughter, that's your heritage in Christ, you were chosen in advance to enter into a, a portion of all that is God's. So the fullness of God is allotted in the identity of sons and daughters. Why are we called the body of Christ? Because we make up the full what? Image. Is this? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if we are in Christ, then people should see a portion of the Father in our walk. That should be our posture. 
What does God look like? Well, if you've seen me, you've seen God. Now, for some of you, but in all seriousness, that, that's the mishap. We don't believe it, and we choose to accept who we were instead of walking in who we are. We should be able to have conversation with people, and they say, can you tell me who your God is? Well, if you've seen me, you've seen my father. You know the reason why we're embarrassed to say it? Because we're not walking in our identity. We're walking in dead man. Is dead man too harsh? That's actually, this is actually the reason why God says we can't pride ourselves in anything. Because no man is the full image of God. Except one. Who? Jesus. And what did he say? He said, I'm going to give you gifts to build the body. And I'm going to spread them out. Because I don't want one person to have everything. Look at verse 12. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles, just to let you know, if you're not a Jew, guess what you are? You're a Gentile. You've also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. When you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. Before I get into that, I'm going to focus on that last part. I didn't write this down, but I think I got some time to meddle a little bit. He identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit when you believed. He, when you believed in Christ... He identified you as his own by giving you Holy Spirit. When you came to belief, he marked you with something. Have you ever heard of the term, well, when I was full of Holy Ghost? You ever heard that? Let me tell you the truth of it and the error of it, if that's okay. You were always full of the Holy Ghost when you believed. You didn't experience the fullness until you actually believed you were full. There are many people who believe in Jesus that are filled with the Holy Ghost, but you never see any, any evidence of them being full or an experience of them with the Holy Spirit because they simply don't know. Is it a separate experience for some? For most. But some, the moment they believe. Why? You get it all when you believe. You experience when you believe it. When you believed in Christ. In other words, when you believe that Jesus saved you and in what you were anointed to become. Is this making sense? See, it's not either or, it's just an incomplete understanding. Personally, when I believed in, I, I accepted Jesus for the 45th time when I was like 12 years old. I never, I never experienced anything with the Holy Spirit, Spirit other than, than conviction. 
And when I went, went, when I went to the first, uh, it was an Assemblies of God church, I walked in because they asked me if I wanted to work there. I said, well, let me check out the church. I went to the church and thought, I ain't never going back to this crazy crap ever again. But there was something in me in that moment, even though it looked so foreign and weird, that started to wake up, and I couldn't explain what I felt. So instead of running from the feeling, you know what I did? I ran toward it, even though nothing about it seemed right. And over the next years being in ministry, I worked for a Pentecostal church, and I didn't believe in the idea of the Holy Spirit. And through running toward it, I opened up to what I was filled with. I was always filled, didn't know it. Because it's all about one thing, redeemed identity. Okay. So it says, God chose the Jews first. He says, all who hear and believe, he says, I chose the Jews first, and then you Gentiles, when you heard it, you're now identified as part of those that heard it. He says there is no longer Jew or Gentile. The only thing that qualifies you is when you hear it. Can I, can I say this? I do believe that, that there is an idea of the elected people. What identifies you as, as election when you hear it and believe it? It's not God chose some for heaven and chose some to burn. When I hear people say that, I want to burn them. <laughs> God says, the only thing that qualifies you as with me or not is when you believe in me. But you've got to walk in your new identity. It can't just be a belief system. And he says, the way I'm going to identify you is not Jew or Gentile. But the way I'm going to identify you is I'm going to seal your identity with the Holy Spirit. That's what's going to mark you. You're no longer going to be marked by where you came from. You're going to realize where you actually came from. You're not going to be marked by Jew. You're not going to be marked by Gentile. You're not going to be marked by Catholic. You're not going to be marked by Baptist. You're not going to be marked by Methodist. You're not going to be marked by non-denational. You're not going to be marked by charismatic. You're not going to be marked by crazy people that go to 505 U.S. Highway 80. You're not going to be marked as American. You're not going to be marked as African American. You're not going to be marked as Indian. You're not going to be marked as Native American. You're marked as a son or a daughter. That's it. Stop identifying yourself anything other than I am son or I am daughter. Amen. That's your mark. I am marked with the power of God. I am marked with his presence. So I'm not going to walk in my culture. I'm not going to mark in my walk in that's my people. I'm going to walk in I'm a son or daughter. And we all look beautiful together. And some are pale. And some are dark. And some are in between. And some have great hair. And some have no hair. And some have waterproof hair. 
but I'm not going to let that separate anything because who I am is not marked by anything physical. It's marked by Holy Spirit. I am a son or daughter. <laughs> Look at verse 14. It says, The Spirit is God's guarantee that He will give us the inheritance that He promised and that He has purchased us to be His own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify Him. You know what the word guarantee there is? It actually means down payment. He says, I am sealing you with my presence as a down payment, letting you know that all the promises are yours to inherit. And here's the proof of it. Here's the spirit that you don't deserve. Now go to the promises that you weren't worthy for. But now you are. He's purchased you to be this. Why? So the mysterious plan that he just revealed can happen. What's the plan? All things under the authority of Christ. Who is Christ? Us. He purchased you back with the redemption plan and marked you with a guarantee that you will enter into destiny. So to hinder the work of Holy Spirit is actually direct disagreement with God's plan and your new identity. And if we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to move, you will not walk in what that down payment is guaranteeing. Well, how do we get to a place of the church where the, the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out and we're going to see crazy stuff? You want me to give you the answer to it? Long and the short of it? I don't know. And anyone that claims to know is an idiot. Let me tell you why. Because they're telling you how to get the wine they've been drinking for the past 20 years. I want new wine. You know what new wine means? No one has drank it yet. No one knows what it looks like yet. No one can write a manual on it. No one can write a book on it. It's simply this. Let's honor each other as sons and daughters and fall in love with our Father. That's it. If we could get that, we're going to start drinking a new wine that no one has ever seen, and they're going to say, you look like you're drunk. But let me talk about that a minute. When they, when they looked at Paul, uh, I mean, when they looked at the, the church in Acts, and they said, you look like you drunk with wine. It's not that they were looking like they were drunk. It's they could not understand why these people loved each other so much. Why are you Jews and Gentiles all together in the same house and y'all love each other and you ain't got no needy, you ain't got to come to get a loan from the government and you're paying your taxes. How y'all got everything figured? Are y'all just drunk? So, well, we're, we're drinking wine, all right. Are y'all understanding this? We've got to understand who we are and start honoring it in each other. And we're going to get it wrong. And we're going to get it right. And who cares one way or the other? Because we know we are all marked in a redeemed identity. Verse 15. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. 
Why was Paul thanking God for the believers? It says when he heard their faith and their love. Faith and love are the evidence of us walking in our redeemed identities. They don't earn you kingdom assignments. They're the evidence that you're already starting to walk in them. That's why you can't wait to get more faith or let me get better at loving people. You want to know how you get better at loving people? Love people. Well, God's going to just, God's going to give me a, a new desire one day. No, he's already given you the new desire, but you're not, your eyes are blind to the desire because you're still having more relationship with the old. Not in who you truly are. Your ability to walk was redeemed at the cross, not because of fruit. Fruit of the Spirit, the evidence that you're walking according to inheritance granted because of you being marked. You actually believe what God did for you, and because you're marked as new, you start to walk. And when you start to walk, people will see faith, love, and the fruit of the Spirit. And Paul starts praying for him. He always mentions he's praying for people. He's, I'm praying for you. What does Paul pray for? He starts praying for the body, but look at what he prays for. In verse 17, he says, Asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. What does Paul pray? God, give them spiritual wisdom and spiritual insight. Not so that they can predict the future or even discern more, but for one reason, they grow in their knowledge of God. You know what knowledge of God he's talking about? It ain't head knowledge. It's understanding who he is, and if we understand who he is, we understand who we are because we are actually made in him. So if you have the image of the Father as a judge who's mean in the Old Testament, why do you think you have the same image of your earthly dads? And then on the other side of that, if all you've seen is an earthly dad who's mean and judgmental, why is it that you are so easily placing that identity on your father? The father hasn't changed. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the father. The father is love. Jesus simply walked in his identity as a son. And then he bought the right for you to do the same thing. When we understand who he is, we understand who we are. Verse 18. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called. His holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. The only way to understand the confident hope that he has given to us is let light flood your hearts. Light expels darkness. So light flooding in your heart will expel any false feeling or seeing of yourself or others. When you see yourselves and others as God sees you, you'll fully understand the, the hope that he has given his people. What hope? Walking in the truth of your redeemed identity. In other words, you start to see people as God sees them because you're letting light expel any false identifying marks. Okay? 
So it's like this. You start walking in the truth of your identity, but you say, I'll never become that. Let light expel that thought. God isn't pleased with me. Let light expel that thought. Let me just say this to all the, the people yawning. Y'all need to wake up because this is good stuff. I know it's a little hot in here and, you know, just listen to me. Yeah. God is pleased with you. If you don't believe that, you won't start walking. Because you're going to, the rest of your life, let me earn his, his favor. No, no, he, he, is, he is pleased. Well, I'm not good enough. Let light expel that. You are good enough. Not by your doing, but by his. But what does church do? Do more. To be good. No, 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 you are good. I'll never get free. I will Let light expel those thoughts. And when you're flooded with light, you'll start to walk in who you are. Because you're no longer letting the most powerful thing control you. Your mind. Now watch this. I'm, I'm getting to the end. He says, when you understand who you are, and you're letting the knowledge of God flood your hearts and getting darkness out, he says, you will walk as holy and as the Father's inheritance. Let me read it again. It says, his holy people who are, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. We always talk about how we get inheritance. But you need to remember, in your redeemed nature, you are his inheritance. That is how precious you are to God. He's a jealous God. For what? His glory and his inheritance. How does he get his glory and his inheritance? In his sons and daughters. Why? Does he invest and pour out, the Bible says, riches of his love and wisdom and understanding and even his spirit? He's investing into his sons and daughters because he's putting stock into his inheritance. And he says, when you start walking in who you are, I take glory in what's mine. You are his inheritance. When are you going to start believing it? In verse 19, he says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in heavenly realms. His power is not to be known from a distance. Walking into full portion is about walking into who we are in Christ, and we have to embrace this power instead of thinking it isn't needed. We, don't, we need to embrace the reality of a power that God has given you, not a power that you will get. And you need to understand that he wants to see it operate in and through you. Paul prays, understand that the power is available to all who believe. It's the same power that raised Christ from the grave to life. You want to know why I know that the church in America doesn't believe this? We shut doors during COVID. 
If we have the same power that took a flesh from hell to heaven, you mean to tell me that we don't have the same power to tell a disease that it cannot have us? Well, I have friends that believe in Jesus who get sick. Well, I got sick. Are you telling me? What I'm saying is realize who you are and stop giving power to things that ain't his. The biggest power in the American church, or really with people, period, is simply this, your agreement. When I had my brain tumor years ago, the biggest mistake I started to make was I have a brain tumor, and, and I, I, this is my brain tumor. I had to start looking at my brain tumor as a foreign object, not something that's a part of me. Maybe that's why the doctor said I wouldn't be playing piano for six months, but I was up in three weeks. Because I was not going to let something define me other than. But that's what we do. We let everything define us. I'm poor. No, you're not. He has poured out his riches on you. Well, you don't know my bank account. You don't know your identity. You know what poverty is? It ain't a checkbook, it's a spirit. Poor people can get a million dollars and be poor the next week because they don't know how to do anything with a million. And they were proven in not being able to do anything with a million because they couldn't even manage a hundred. It's not the amount. It's what's in your mind. You know what prosperity is? I have all I need to accomplish my purpose. It's not rich, rich, rich. It's I am called to be prosperous. That means I have all I need to accomplish that God wants. So I will not let anything hold me back. You want to know how people get ahead? When they start realizing who they are and they do not let conditions define them. This has been a lesson for me growing this church. I may not have been as gifted seven years ago. But I gave the same level of time to my preaching to two people as I do a hundred. And I will give the same time for this group of people as to whoever God is wanting me to speak to one day. Because it's not about my accolades, it's about who I am. And I'm going to walk in who I am despite my surroundings. That is understanding who you are in Christ. You don't start healing people when the church offers a healing service. You start walking in it. If, you're, if, you, ha if you are someone who loves prayer, you pray even when the church doesn't have prayer services. And you're not waiting, well, I just need to find a new church because I'm a prayer and they don't pray. Right? Right? Well, I, I need to find a church with a good youth ministry. I know plenty of churches with good youth, youth ministries and our teens still suck. Because they're being entertained instead of being fathered.
We don't need entertainment and babysitting clubs for people who can get jobs. They need fathers. They need mothers. They need mentors. They need people who can say to them, I see who you really are, and what you're walking in is not that. And instead of slapping them on the wrist, say, let me show you how to walk, son, daughter. And it's not just for teenagers. It's everyone in this room. Because let me just burst your bubble. No one here, no one in here is walking in the fullness of their identity. But when you understand you are in the fullness of identity, you give yourself to the process of walking into it. Verse 21. He is far above any ruler, any authority, any power, any leader, or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. It says Jesus is above any ruler, any authority, any power, any leader. He's above angels. He's above man. He's above demons. He's above, he's above sickness. He's above, he's above poverty. He's above your perverted idea of your identity. And if he is above all and we are with him, that that power's in us, why do we still live as if we have none of it? Pastor, come to my house. Tell the demons to get out. You obviously don't know who you are. Because the moment you understand you are a son or daughter of God, that means the same power that raised Christ from the dead just came out your mouth when you say get out. You don't, there is no such thing as clergy and lay people. They're sons and daughters, and we honor the function. Amen. Last two verses, and I'll stop. Has this been good tonight? Yeah. Okay. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. All things are under his authority. Why? For the benefit of the body called the church. And if Jesus is the head, we have to understand that we are not complete as the body without functioning under his headship. How does the body function under the headship? You function in who you are not what you've settled for or who you think you've become. Hear me. Don't walk out of here thinking, I'm going to get there one day. Don't walk out of here thinking, man, if I could, if I could just have that kind of, if I could just do, no, 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 you are. You want to know how you start walking as, as I am? Even when you have the desire, you say, that's not me. When you have that desire for that thing that you know is not of God, you speak to it. That's not me anymore. It's not, oh, it's so hard not to do it. No, it's not, it's not me. That is not who I am. You start putting words to who you truly are. 
and your identity will follow what you start to say you believe you are. That is not me. That is not who I am. This is who I am. I'm an overcomer. I'm covered by the blood of the Lamb. My sins are blotted out. I'm perfect. And my perfect self ain't dealing with that because that puts me in the identity of not perfect. You understand what I'm saying? That's how you put this stuff to work. When you want to get that thing, no, 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 that, that, I don't even, that's, that's not who I am. And you start to recognize that the stuff trying to win your affections are lies. Let light pour into you and expel any false idea in your minds of what you want. The world has conditioned people to say this is what you want and this is what fulfills you. And Christ says, let light expel all that and start to walk in what I see you as. I want you to accept who you truly are. And when we start to walk in who we are, we'll start to see the plan that all things come together under the authority of the anointing in the body. That's the remnant. That's the church God is waiting on. It's not let's get people in the seats. It's let's get people to believe that they actually are redeemed. So, let's stand and give God praise that we're going to walk in our redeemed function. Amen. Amen.